0: And then I realized that all she wanted was an easy way to send webhooks from, from her service. And I'm like, well, you know, my current company, we've been asked to send webhooks all the time. And every time we said no for the same reasons, like, oh, my God, you know, upfront cost is going to be terrible. Maintenance is going to be terrible. And then we have this, like, beautiful product and beautiful API. And then we're going to have to offer, like, a terrible webhook experience because we don't have time to focus on that because, like, it's a, it's a whole product on its own. So I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And I just told her, like, hey, if I build it for you, will you pay me? And she's like, yeah. And then it was like in a, you know, in a group chat and someone else said, like, yeah, I'll, I'll pay you as well. I'm Tom, founder and CEO of Spix. This is Code Story,
1: the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noel Laporte, and today how Tom Hacohen built the open source and enterprise ready webhooks as a service. All this and more on Code Story. For Tom Hakohen coding started when he was nine years old. He took after-school robotics classes, which required coding, but once he stepped into the programming aspect, he realized he didn't really care about robots anymore. Outside of tech, he surfs, cycles, and longboards when the conditions are right. When asked where he likes to longboard, he prefers the roads on a sunny day for a long-distance longboarding in Tel Aviv. When a friend asked Tom a question about webhooks, he dug deeper into the problem and realized that for her solution, she just wanted an easy way to send hooks from her service. After she agreed to pay him to build it, along with several others, he found the validation to step into building the platform. This is the creation story of Sphix.
0: We do webhook sending as a service. So essentially we help companies add webhook sending capabilities to the service. We help companies large and small, including Brex, Lob, long-term stock exchange. You can think of it as like SendGrid or Twilio, uh, but for webhooks. And for those who don't know what webhooks are, webhooks are essentially how services notify each other of events. So they're kind of like a server-to-server push notification. Most services, you know, use them already and offer them already, um, you know, to build integrations or to trigger, you know, workflows using no-code uh, tools like Zapier or just code integrations. So one example would be Stripe, GitHub sends them, Shopify sends them. Really, any any company you can think of, um, and we just make it easier for companies to send them. As for how we started, you know, I, I wish I could tell you I had this like, you know, I woke up one day or like an apple fell on my head, on my head and I realized that this needs to be done. <laughs> But it was, it just like a friend of mine asked a silly question or a question that seemed silly at the time about webhooks. And I'm just like, okay, this doesn't make sense. Uh, let's, you know, dig deeper. And then I realized that all she wanted was an easy way to send webhooks from the, from her service. And I'm like, well, you know, my current company, we've been asked to send webhooks all, the, like, to offer webhooks all the time. And every time we said no for the same reasons, like, oh my God, you know, upfront cost is going to be terrible. Maintenance is going to be terrible. And then we have this like beautiful product and beautiful API. And then we're going to have to offer like a terrible webhook experience because we don't have time to focus on that because like it's a it's a whole product on its own. So I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And I just told her like, hey, if I build it for you, will you pay me? And she's like, yeah. And then it was like, in a you know, in a group chat and someone else said like, yeah, I'll, I'll pay you as well. And another one jumped in and said, We actually don't send webhooks, my current company, but the previous one we did. And I would be more than happy to introduce you to the team. So, kind of like that gave me the initial validation to realize that's probably something there.
1: <laughs> I love it. If, if I build it, will you pay me? That's a, that's a great
0: question. You know, the second part is actually believing them, but, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's only you know, so much you can do. Well, tell me about the MVP. So that
1: first product you built, how long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life?
0: Common wisdom is to do like market research and more validation before you do that. I just realized that, you know, my quote, quote, founder superpower is building. So I just like went on and built it. V1 was raw. It took, I think it took two days to build it. But you know, like as you send the emails and like let people know that it's ready, you keep like hacking, you know, in the meanwhile before they respond. We used Fast API, Postgres, Docker, uh, TypeScript, and React. As I said, it took us like two days. I mean, it took me. I was I'm a sole founder. Yeah, that was like the hacky V1. It was fairly quick to get out.
1: Okay, so then with the hacky V1, right? And really with any MVP V1, right? You have to make certain decisions and trade-offs about, you know, technical debt you're going to accept and, you know, trade-offs on features you're not going to build in the beginning. Walk me through some of those that you had to make in that V1 and how you coped with those decisions.
0: I guess, like, the first thing is, like, as you alluded to, is about cutting down scope. And um, so just, like, realizing what is the absolute core of the product that people would need. And for us, since we're an API product, that meant no UI uh, also meant no sign up. Like why would need people need to sign up? I know all the people that are, you know, that are using the product. So I had to send them an encrypted API key so that they can use. And it just like really, you know, removing all of that and just, you know, cutting down to the core. Again, as an API product, one thing we couldn't do, we couldn't break API. I mean, we could, and I think we may have briefly, like in the beginning, but the aim was to accumulate technical debt everywhere else. Like, we couldn't care. You know, that doesn't matter at all. Like, the product could have been dead within the week. So, like, technical debt meant nothing. But technical API debt, I guess that's a term that we couldn't have accumulated. So, that we made sure to, you know, to keep the same. But yeah, sign up, nothing. We had nothing, really nothing, just like a basic API that you could use to create uh, messages.
1: So, okay you've got your MVP, right? How did you progress the product from there? And how did you mature it? And, and I think to kind of put that in a box a little bit, how did you go about building your roadmap and figuring out, okay, this is the next most important thing to build?
0: Yeah, God, like, you know, like asking how the product progressed since the MVP. <laughs> I mean, just literally in every single way. You know, we have like SDKs for a variety of languages. Now we have you know, a stable API that scales with our customers. And, um, you know, we have a lot more customers than we did at, you know, at point zero. Yeah, but just like every, everything changed and everything improved. As for like how we build the roadmap, it's almost like a cliche, but like we realize that we only exist to serve our customers. So everything we do is based on what they need or what we think they would need. And uh, we've gotten like pretty good at anticipating what they'll need, well, the, what they'll ask for uh, before they do. But even so, we like we wait for some signal from them. So like we may just start working on a feature, but we just like wait for real signal from like a few customers before we actually like jump on it and do it. One other thing is that we're in like a bit of a unique situation there is that we're building something new um, and like essentially inventing a niche. So we didn't really have like any established competitors to learn from, um, which is like a double-edged sword. You know in the beginning, I didn't have anything to benchmark us against, so like, okay, just a simple API is like more than enough. Like no one could just go back and say like, oh, Company X has like way more. I'm not going to use you. No, we're just like we are your only option, essentially. So it was both good and bad, I guess, not having anyone to get inspiration from.
1: So let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you?
0: Obviously tapped my network, um, like literally pinged anyone. Almost not my grandma, but almost to that extent, you know, with the job job description and just ask them like if they knew anyone that worked quite well another thing was work at a startup which is the yc job board and that was pretty good reached out call to people on github linkedin those all of those worked but one of the things i like the most and i don't remember where i heard it from but i think it's actually from yc is whenever a a candidate rejected us or we decided to reject a candidate for whatever you know whatever reason it's just not a mutual fit we asked them to introduce us to someone else like hey you know this doesn't work but do you know someone that actually may work? And that was a great way to, you know, to get great people on board and actually one of our best hires we got from that. And as for like, what, am I looking, what do I look for in the team? You know, I'm a strong believer in company values. Um, so alignment with our values is essential. Uh, the two big one that comes to mind is like always learning, uh, which is essentially like, don't have an ego. Like, okay, you were wrong, it's fine, let's move on. No need to like strice and defect it and just like dwell on it for a week. It's okay, move on, learn from it. And the other part is like good and concise communicators. You know, we work in a distributed team. And I think one of the most exhausting things is going on a Zoom call with a team member just goes on and on and on for like an hour. Um, And just everyone is like, just like losing focus. And yeah, so I think those are very important to me. And like one thing that really grabs my interest is people that are passionate about coding. That's obviously a bias, but like people that have been coding since a young, from a young age, or people that have been lucky, are usually great hires. But obviously, you can be like an amazing hire and start coding later on. So it's not it's not a requirement, but just like a good uh, first signal. We build tool for f- tools for developers. So if you're not passionate about coding, I don't think you can really empathize with our user base, with our customer base. So that's that's another thing that's like very important to us. So this is not my first company, but in my previous one, I was a sp- sole founder sole employee fully bootstrap i didn't have to deal with hiring and managing a team and that was much easier to be honest it's just like maintaining culture takes a lot of direct effort and conscious effort i try to refer to the values all the time i lead by example you know i'm not above any of the values i ask people to call me out i am the first one to admit when i'm wrong always take every opportunity to learn and just like if we live by the values i think every just, everything just like goes from there And we also go on, like, offsides to make sure that, you know, like, people are together in the same room and build that, you know, face-to-face aspect of the culture. Well, let's
1: flip to scalability. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one in that V1 version you built? Or have you been fighting this as you've grown and gained
0: traction? So I think V1 was fairly scalable because it was simple you know like <laughs> it's if you have like a fiberglass race car body it's like fairly easy to get it you know running fast even without like a massive engine as we added like more complexity and had like more customers it kind of started sh- I, actually you know it never showed it age but it's kind of like started showing that we may need to like start thinking about scaling And I gave a talk about it recently. One thing that I think we did, which was a mistake, we prematurely scaled things. So we realized, oh my God, we're growing at a certain rate. You know, let's now go 100x that size already and just like not worry about scaling. And that really slowed us down. It was like really a foolish mistake. You know, like you just need to, I think like scaling as the business scales is like much better than just like trying to re-architect things in advance, uh, which I, I really regret that mistake. And also like because of the nature of our business, we add a new cut company, and all of a sudden we have all of the weight of that company. Uh, so we add like you know, lob. All of a sudden we need to handle lob's full traffic, which is you know they're like a large company, and so it's always been like a, a challenge to make sure that we can you know keep our standards as we add like more and more uh, large customers.
1: So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of?
0: Oh wow! So. You know i wear multiple hats so as an engineer i'm very proud of our uptime and the work we've done to get there um, i know that if anyone from the team makes a mistake it's going to be, be caught by one of the automatic testing that you know all of our testing and just like the scalability and all of our redundancy and to, just to know that we can sleep at night and everything would be fine and that like if the test suite passes we're going to be good like you know a bug is not going to hit production but as a non-engineer i guess as the ceo hat on i'm like extremely proud of the value we create for our users and our customers and it just it's still mind-blowing to me that this mvp that i built in two days as we talked about earlier literally hacked together is now used by amazing companies you know that our household names and companies that i've always looked up to i mean obviously we're not we're no longer serving them that like hacky mvp but it's still you know seeing that evolution is just mind-blowing to me and i'm really proud of that
1: well, let's flip the script a little bit. And you mentioned a mistake earlier, but I'm going to ask again. Tell me about a mistake you made, maybe it be that one or another one you want to mention, and how you and your team responded to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the previous mistake that I mentioned, I don't think there's like a lot more to add. We just suffered for it. And, you know, it was just like a lot of pain. And we had to, you know, change the architecture again, um, just to support everything, just to support our team. It's always a bit uncomfortable to talk about, but there's like... It just—I think this is very useful for like new CEOs, essentially. And um, you know, there was like an employee that was underperforming and was dragging the team down and damaging our culture. You know, which we talked about—it was like very important uh, for the team. And you know, it's always hard to let letting someone go, especially someone I've known from before. The mistake was I just too lo- took too long to let him go, um, and just like you know, it wasn't a good fit for him. It wasn't a good fit for us. It was just like causing a lot of conflict. And, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by how the team responded, though. I thought, like, oh, my God, you know, like, a core member of the team not being part of the company is going to, like, destroy everything. Everyone is going to want to leave. And, like, and and actually, no, like, people told me that they were wondering the same. You know, they felt that wasn't a fit and, like, was wondering why I wasn't making the call. So I guess, yeah, the important thing is, yeah, just do what you think, you you know, what your gut tells you, even if it's the hard decision. And don't, like, try to second-guess your team because they probably are on it anyway, so... What does the future look like for Sphinx, the, the product, and for your team? I'm a long-time Linux user, right? Um, I've been using Linux for, like, I don't know how long, but, like, many, 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 many years. In the, in the Linux Word in the Unix Word, you have a lot of different services that interact. In the Unix Word, again, like, it's a small binary. So you, you output some, you know, some command that has some output, and then you pipe it to another command that filters it, and then to another command that does something else. I think we're, like, we're nearing that, or we're already maybe in this future in the web. You know, we have Off Zero for authentication and Stripe for billing and SendGrid for emails and Twilio for SMS and Svix for um, webhooks and and Mux for video, and, like, the list goes on and on. And I think we're missing this, this layer of helping these services interact and interact reliably. So webhooks actually fill that gap, but, you know, it's always been a pain to build them, and most people get them wrong. So I think this is... You know this is like the long term this is what we want like this is our place in the world this is who we are short term yeah a lot of really cool things i don't want to like spoil too much uh, or like or commit to anything like be releasing immediately but i can tell you what we just released recently so we have automatic docs generation you know we already know what webhooks you send we might as well like generate the docs for you uh, i mean obviously like a barebone version that you can annotate further but that's you know that's something we do we have an automatic Zapier integration builder. You know, Zapier that relies on webhooks to operate, to trigger these apps. And we already know what webhooks you send. You, we might as well build the integration for you. So that's what we did. And we had like a community member uh, contribute contributor, a C-sharp library. We have a Rust uh, SDK as well. And just like a lot of things. It's just like the list, <laughs> the list goes on and on. Uh, and I guess like to segue from that, uh, from that we are hiring for like strong Rust backend or just like full stack. So like Rust and React for TypeScript engineers. So if you want to help us reduce the backlog and help us get through the roadmap, uh, we're hiring.
1: Well, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? You know, name a CEO,
0: CTO, an architect, really any person you look up to and why? I really, I look up and I learn from so many people all the time. When you just look at other founders, right? And the founder that just finds a creative solution at the face of adversity, like the, you know, the company is going to die and they find a solution. And the one that's like bold and decisive. And the one that's like a great public speaker, like kind of like Steve Jobs type. And, you know, the one that just like grinds, you know, in silence in the corner, and just like gets more and more sales. There's just so many people, even like around me that do amazing things. And I just try to learn, you know, the best from each of them. One thing that YC loves to say is, you know, average companies fail. So if you do something average, you know, if you're going to be average, you're going to fail as well. And I think I've just tried to always, you know, look at the companies around me and see who does best at something and just like try to mimic that and learn from that and like get their advice.
1: Well, we we talked about a mistake earlier, uh, but a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different or where would you consider taking a different approach?
0: So, I mean, first of all, the scaling thing that I mentioned. God, I wish we went, like, a different way there, and I wish we took it step by step. And um, so, just to recap, we prematurely scaled for, like, 100x our current traffic rather than just... Or try to scale for that, to that, aim to that, instead of just saying, okay, we're here, we're growing at a certain pace, let's just do 10x, and that should be fine for the next, like, whatever long. That one I wish... I wish we could have done differently. But other than that, I think, you know, like startup, or at least like for me, never mind even the start of the company, like I learned so much from the mistakes and just that made me more resilient and more, I mean, I'm better suited, I think, to continue running this company. And um, so I can think like, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes, like really a lot, but now I know, you know, and the scars show it that I, you know, I know not to repeat them. And it's kind of like almost, you know, like the butterfly effect, you know, if I go back and I change that mistake and I fix it, Um, And I just avoid it. Like, will I have the scars to show it for it? And like, will I know to not repeat it when it really matters? I don't know. So I I try not to, you know, try not to time travel and not to change anything uh, as much as I can.
1: Well, last question, Tom. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
0: I hope it's transatlantic because i really have like a lot to say (laughs) yeah Let, let me give you the gist of it okay first of all i guess setbacks all the time like just it's part of being a founder just don't worry about them just solve them if they're even worth solving and just move on you know it's very easy to just like dwell on them for a few days yeah just go on and just and also remember like you're the rock that everyone depends on and gets cues from so if you're stressed everyone is stressed if you stay cool everyone is cool You're gonna hit something like, potentially company destroying like every day, so just like get used to it I guess. You know in the beginning I used to think that there were like silver bullets I thought I would just get this one higher. Just sign this one deal. Just do X. Just I don't know and just after that everything will just be fine And I guess it connects actually it's related to the previous point. They're just like there are no silver bullets They're gonna be like another thing like the day after and once the the highs you know, is gone from like after like raising a, a big fat round or from like doing a big sale and getting like an amazing customer on board it's back to company building its company today you know day-to-day roller coaster one last one I guess and then you know <laughs> so one of our one of our partners again I go back to YC you know it's really been formative for us as a company so one of the advice that one of our partners gave the batch is that I still carry to this day it's like don't make excuses So he was referring to investor updates when he gave this advice. So just like, you know, like, you know, investors don't like it when they just get like a a, a long list of like why you didn't hit your targets, just like hit your targets or, you know, stay quiet about it. But I actually took it a bit more, you know, widely. So I think most people fail at something and explain why they failed. And then they think they got a pass, right? I mean, you know, it's not my fault. I failed because, you know, the floor was crooked or because the wind had headwind or whatever. And they think that they're okay and then that kind of like gives you almost a pass to yourself to fail If you just like take excuses off the table and you just tell yourself, okay I need it either to execute and Get the results that I want to get or just like outright say I failed and I'm sorry and I'm gonna learn and but you know We failed just that at least for me like just makes you the master of your own destiny and makes you much more resourceful because you now know that you're gonna hit the roadblock and and you have to solve it some way and if you don't that's fine you failed it and maybe you know you know sometimes there's nothing you could have done right i mean it's not i'm not saying like hit yourself you know like um blame yourself for everything but just don't cop out with like a you know an easy excuse like you didn't hit your targets that's fine maybe the targets were too ambitious maybe that but the fact is you set those targets and those were not hit and i think this yeah that was it's just liberating for me
1: that's great advice Well, Tom, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Sphix.
0: No, thank you very much for having me.
1: And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month.